This is Eyewitness News up close. New York's hard-fought Democratic primary now over. Governor Cuomo trying to do what his dad did nearly 30 years ago and win a third term. And now he's one step closer. And what now for Cynthia Nixon, the newcomer, a long shot who waged an impressively aggressive campaign, confronting her party's status quo. So what's her future? And in the state Senate, a New York kind of blue wave? Our guest this morning, former Governor David Patterson. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Up Close. I'm Bill Ritter. What a primary election in New York State. The Democrats battling each other, perhaps like we've not seen for a long, long time. Their party maybe now finds itself in a kind of political rebellion underway. At least that's what a lot of people think. The establishment challenged by political newcomers who seem self-possessed with the passionate stuff Hamilton talked about. You know, they're young, scrappy, and hungry. All that aside, no question, a big victory for incumbent Governor Cuomo, who was declared the winner less than half an hour after the polls closed Thursday night. He defeated actress and political newcomer Cynthia Nixon. He received 66% of the vote, but she got 34%. Nixon's hard-fought progressive Bernie Sanders-style campaign wasn't enough to pull off the upset she wanted, although Mr. Cuomo did spend $25 million, unusual for an incumbent in a primary. And Ms. Nixon, who seems to want to have a political future, claiming her campaign was a big step in the right direction for progressivism in the U.S. Your victories tonight have shown that the blue wave is real and that it is not only coming for Republicans, it is coming for Democrats who act like them. Chatter and Twitter, progressive Democrats, uh, theories of what it means to be a progressive Democrat. I am a lifelong New Yorker. I am a born and bred in Queens. Uh, I am from the most progressive tradition in the Democratic Party. My father was a progressive when they called progressives liberals before they had to give up that word and change the word uh, for political credibility. Uh, a progressive Democrat, a Democrat in New York State, these are not ivory tower academics. These are not pontificators. These are not people who live in the abstract or the theoretical. Uh, New York Democrats, these are hardworking men and women, they're middle class, they're working families, they have real problems, and they need real help in life. Two different views of what went on this week. Meanwhile, the Democratic primary for New York's lieutenant governor, Governor Cuomo's choice, his incumbent, his partner, Kathy Hochul, beating New York City Councilman Jumani Williams. But this was a closer than expected race, as you can see, 53 to 47. Another big race, the Democratic primary for attorney general, maybe the hardest fought primary race for that job ever, New York City public advocate Letitia James, winning with 41% of the vote. If she wins in November, she'll be the first woman to hold the job, also the first African-American elected New York attorney general. Lots to digest, lots to talk about. And joining us this morning, the 55th governor of the state of New York, David Patterson, who comes from a political family and is a great analyst of New York politics. Right now, he has a more lucrative full-time job than being governor. He's director of Stiefel Nicholas Investment Services. And Governor, welcome. Thanks for joining us. 
I'm just one of the directors. Oh, I want you to not know a that. director. He's, he's <laughs> a director, not the director. Yes. Okay, and modest to be sure. Um, but thanks for joining us. So, what did you make of all that? You heard Governor Cuomo make make a case saying this is sort of all this stuff about you know upheaval and now it's nonsense. And Cynthia Nixon saying, "Hey, we're here and we're not going away." Well, I think I, actually that both of them were talking to the same point. I, I agree completely with the governor, and I think that's why uh, a lot of the people in the process voted out what's known as the IDC, the Independent Democratic uh, Coalition, caucus, yeah. caucus, whatever. Um, you don't have to remember the name because it's gone now. And the reason it's gone, it was founded in 2011. And I will submit that it, when it was founded, I could understand those senators not wanting to work in a situation where the past two majority leaders of the Senate, the only two Democratic majority leaders in recent memory, both wound up convicted of crimes. So I could see why they wanted to separate to a certain degree. They didn't want to be but, part of the status quo. Exactly. But that was a short-term issue. Since then, the members of that IDC got uh, 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 greater opportunities in the Senate because of the Republican Party, who gave them more money for staff, who gave them higher Lulus, meaning in lieu of expenses, who gave them more leadership positions. And it created a situation where you had a Republican Party and two Democratic parties fighting each other in the Senate. It was ridiculous. And now um, I think that's the fervor, that's the upheaval that we saw on Tuesday when it was publicized enough that Democrats decided we'd had enough of this game that was being played. Well, fair enough, and, and a lot of people aren't going to know what the IDC is. I think it's in the weeds for a lot of people, but it's a, it's a valid topic to say what's going on. This was more, these, as far as I can remember, we had more Democratic battling in a primary and challengers taking on incumbents than we've seen maybe ever. Well, six of the eight uh, IDC members were defeated. Defeated, right. And uh, that's here in the city. There's another one that was uh, defeated upstate, apparently. They're yeah. still counting the votes in that election. But the real issue is that you're right. There were other Democrats, incumbents, uh, one on Long Island uh, that was defeated. There was uh, a state senator that wasn't in the IDC that was defeated. And so... Uh, I think right now that Democratic voters are demanding more accountability from uh, uh, Democratic elected officials. And I think that's great for the state. And I think it's, it's, it's great for democracy that uh, incumbents usually win 97, 98 percent of the time. I mean, you literally have to sleep with the flies to get kicked out of office. Um, and Jeff Klein, who was the head, high-ranking Democrat state senator, the head of the IDC, um, of this little caucus group, he was defeated by a, a young woman, 31-year-old Alessandro Piaggi, who has never run for office before. Yes, her grandfather was involved in politics years ago, but she is a novice political candidate, and she won. Well, uh, Alessandra uh, Biaggi comes from a famous political family. Her, her father is a legend in the Bronx. And now she's a legend herself because she beat uh, the, the biggest of the IDC members, who was a great leader himself, Jeff, Jeff Klein. Klein. Yeah. But listen, it can't be about resources. It's got to be about uh, workable, sensible and achievable goals for people who live in this state who don't want to really talk about politics. They want to talk about why they're having so much trouble with the subways. They, w they want to talk about uh, why their children aren't getting the education they should get. And they want to talk about why everybody's working part-time jobs and few full-time ones. And they want to talk about why their state income tax and real estate taxes, property taxes, cannot be deducted anymore. Cynthia Nixon brought all those issues 
to the fore. And, you know, the governor had a, clearly a, a, a dominating victory, but she got 34% of the vote. That's substantial for a woman who has never run for any office. I don't know if she ran for, for, for college president or not, but no public office before. Well, it's the same amount that Zephyr Teachout got running in 2014 against the governor. And I, I see that as the, as the no vote. In other words, uh, people are upset and it's a no vote and whoever signs up can get the no vote. When you start to hit 40%, that's when you're becoming a factor. And maybe uh, Cynthia Nixon in the future will take the time to learn a little more about the issues, to go around and to different communities and let people know who she is. Her, uh, her speech last night, actually it was Thursday night, was, was very good. But I felt at times during the debate with the governor and other poets, there was a snideness that came from her. And that you don't get many votes acting that way, even from people who agree with you politically. Is there no validity to this young sort of charge? And Ms. Nixon is not a youngster, but, but she's novice. Um, and, you know, we saw that with, with Ms. Biagi, who wins office, Al Al Alice, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez beating Joe Crowley, this whole movement of Bernie Sanders type of, of activists coming into the Democratic Party and say, look, what you guys did, your generation, your status quo group, what you did is not working. We got Donald Trump elected. That's what they're saying. And we have to challenge that now. And the governor taking and you are taking a very different approach to that. And I, I understand that. But there is there validity to their point of view for the party? Well, I th agree with the governor. I thought that the reason that Ms. Cortez won is because uh, Joe Crowley who was a great congressman from Queens, was bordering on becoming the Speaker of the House or the Minority Leader of the House. And at that particular time, he had to be out of his district a lot and his absence created an opportunity. All of us have been in office have had that problem. You have to be one place and your opponent is in your district uh, working very hard. But I have heard um, uh, Miss Cortez speak. She is very dynamic, very intelligent, knows the issues uh, very gracious toward others, and I think that that sometimes it just takes one person to rally a lot of people when all of a sudden she might have gotten there in a different way than some people describe, but what she seems to be producing is a lot of people of uh, her belief and her ilk who are going to be the face of this party in the next few years. Let's talk about going forward because now the Democrats have to, have, they've been warring, they're going to have to lick their wounds, shake hands, have a meal together, and then figure out how to combat the Republicans. It's going to be a spirited debate and, and races coming up in November. Well, it, it, absolutely. I think that the overtures that uh, Letitia James made to her three opponents, all of them would have been very fine attorney generals. Um, uh, Ms. Nixon called the governor, uh, conceded, and she said that he worked very hard to win, which was a gracious thing to say. And uh, so I think you saw a lot of that going on uh, Thursday night. Okay, so the people who are running against them, let's talk about it and how this how this shapes up. I said that she, uh, Ms. James would be the first African American to have that office. She's running against a Republican African American for the Attorney Generalship, uh, a lawyer, and I'm going to get his name. And I should have had it out here. Uh, Keith Wofford, uh, who's a lawyer, he's Republican. Uh, Mr. Cuomo is going to run against Mark Molinaro, who is a Dutchess County Executive, former State Assemblyman. Uh, Donald Trump is not on the ballot, but he's going to be a player in this election. Well, that seems to be uh, the moniker of the consultants. Uh, I hate Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a bigot. You know, I don't see how you beat Donald Trump by acting like him. I think that 
you, I mean, who needs Donald Trump when you have Democrats act, acting that way? I think that we have to remember that people didn't necessarily vote for Donald Trump because he's obnoxious. They voted for him because they wanted a change in our society. And by outlining, as he did, what it was about society that is unfortunate for us is the way we need to talk about having a strengthened immigration party uh, policy without um, turning our backs on anyone that wants to get into this country. We have to start talking about how to build our economy without blaming other people for the fact that sometimes it's not moving as, as quickly. And, and I don't see making Donald Trump the issue uh, this is a blue state. I think what we should be talking about are the issues that we need to talk to the whole country. And if we talk to them, rather than trading insults, we can elect a Democratic pe uh, president in 2020. So are you making a plea for, to your fellow Democrats uh, around the country to treat the midterm elections, which really get underway right now, um, in that way as they try to take over Congress again? Well, I think that the country has is making it clear that they're tired of the acrimony, they're tired of uh, the faceless charges against this one and that one, backward and forward, and then, then the cable stations back up their person no matter what it is. It's a game. It's time to stop. There are real problems that go on in, in this country right now. We still have a very high debt. We still aren't educating children as, as, as well as we could. And we have uh, a, a growing poverty rate that we didn't have in, in this country a while back. So I think those are the issues that people need to pay attention to. And if that's the case, I think people will vote more about what the last four years has been rather than voting on who is the better insulting personality. I, I, uh, I think a lot of people are cheering. That sound you may hear is the sound of cheering. I think Americans are just tired of vitriol uh, and no, no discourse, just a lot of diatribe. And I think that people are tired of that. And we're seeing that in the electorate, I think. Well, listen, um, leadership. Leadership is not replicating and uh, mocking a situation that you don't like. It's offering workable, sensible, achievable goals that this country could reach. And we're going to have to work together whether we like it or not. Because, uh, you know, it, it, if, if we don't stand together, we'll practically all fall for anything. It sounds to me, uh, Governor Patterson, that uh, while you, I'm sure you like your, your job, that you maybe miss some of the political no way. world. <laughs> no. No, I, I, I certainly miss... Uh, the conversations. I miss working on policy. Um, I don't miss working on the weekends. Uh, but what I, what I would say is that um, there's a, a tremendous amount of pressure put on elected officials given the scandals, the back and forth, the acrimony. These people work very hard. These candidates, the ones who mm. won and the ones who lost, gave everything they had. And once in a while, we have to take our hats off to them. Former Governor David Patterson, 55th Governor of New York, appreciate your insight today. Thank you, Bill. Good luck to you, Dan. When we come back, we continue our discussion of national and local politics. President Trump hitting the campaign trail hard leading up to the midterm elections. He's got more rallies planned. Can Republicans keep control of the U.S. House and the Senate? We're going to talk to ABC News political director Rick Klein and political consultant Hank Shinkoff next. Welcome back to Up Close. Remember that old book by reporter Bob Woodward called Fear? You know, where so many White House aides and officials in the Trump administration talked to Woodward off the record and told him they were part of a silent resistance? What, you remember it? Because the book just came out this past week. 
It seems like so long ago, right? That is the kind of year, the kind of age measurement, like dog years, of news coming out of the President Trump White House these days. It is head spinning uh, as for volume. Where to begin this week? With our political analyst Hank Scheinkoff, he's here in New York, and ABC News political director Rick Klein. Rick, doesn't it seem like several years ago that the Woodward book came out? Yeah, it's already one of those things that we all sort of know, but I, I still think there's lessons there that are gonna they're gonna last because it confirmed so much of the chaos that we've been reporting on for the last year and a half, two years. Uh, that to me is the big takeaway: is that it's just as bad as uh, everyone has been portraying it as being. And, and yet we go, Hank, right to this you know sort of you know controversy and and rhubarb about Puerto Rico and what a lot of people say was just a very insensitive thing for the president to say and saying that the Democrats are responsible for making up this 3,000 person number of yeah but you know that's the paranoia that underlies all this there is no truth and what is dangerous about this and, and scholars are now writing about this this populism that is all based upon the individual being the state not vice versa so whatever he says is a fact and if you disagree with him is in fact an attack on the state on the government itself that's what he's trying to create and it's working your for old some portion of the population. Old Daniel Patrick, pal, pal and poll, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, and Senator from New York, used to say, you know, everyone is entitled to their own opinion, but not their own facts, but that's not the case. Anymore. He's creating fact that is being reinforced because we keep, we keep attacking him on the fact, on the facts that he creates, which are not facts. Therefore, he has a constituency that will defend him under all circumstances. And yet, Rick, when you direct your troops there as political director of ABC News, uh, you know, there has to be a, a sense of decorum. This is the president of the United States, the office. Uh, and we, we have to have some respect for that. And how do you, how do you report on all this? I think we just go ahead and we keep doing the jobs as we've always done them. You have to ignore as much of the outside noise as possible and the critiques that flow in. And look, there are times, such as this tweet about uh, taking issue with the death count, where you point out that the president has no factual basis for what he's saying. We've given the White House multiple opportunities to try to come up with that. Uh, he is concocting it out of whole cloth, uh, and it would appear that he would do, be doing so for political purposes, to try to accuse the Democrats of something that just flatly is not happening. For whatever reason, inside, inside his own head, he's been doing and I think we just have to be as clear-headed as possible about what the facts are. There's a strategy involved here that is about setting up a, a pattern of, of uh, his facts that are that prove that the Democrats have in fact created the chaos. And remember, in his mind, he will say publicly what it was like before I came here. Obama overseas, everything was a mess, no jobs, no this, no that. He will take credit for it all, blame the Democrats, and try to hold on to seats in the Midwest. That's his plan, and it may work. You know, that's the other side of it. There was a time, of course, uh, to both of you gentlemen, uh, there was a time when a president would not take credit for the things that happened in the year, the first few months of his presidency, because you have no control over what's happening in the economy in the first few months. Uh, you know, certainly Obama inherited a terrible economy from Bush. It took a, quite a while for it to, to get going. And, you know, he blasts Obama for, for all the things economic and says, this was all my doing. He's, uh, he's just decided that he is going to be the recipient of all that is good and reject everything that's bad and, and claim that the Democrats are doing it to him. Which is, and there's a paranoid strain in American politics that, frankly enough, people might very well say, you know what, that's true, they're trying to get him. I want to talk to both of you about the New York election, the primary election that just happened this past week on Thursday, but I do want to talk about the development on Friday with Paul Manafort uh, pleading guilty to he avoids another federal trial, and by all accounts, the reporting is that he sort of, quote-unquote, flipped, whatever that means. Rick, what are you hearing? 
Well, critically here, two points I'd make. One is Mueller's not done. We now know that uh, despite what the White House has said, Mueller still has strands to his investigation. Otherwise, he wouldn't have needed Manafort to cut any kind of a plea agreement. He could have gone ahead with the trial and seen him twist in the wind. And secondly, it means that whatever Mueller is doing now, he has the cooperation of President Trump's former campaign manager. Call it a witch hunt. Try to undermine it as the president has however you want. He's gotten multiple convictions from people close to the president. And maybe more importantly, he's got their cooperation for whatever it is he's still pursuing. Okay, good point. Uh, Rick, uh, Rick uh, Hank, I want to talk to you about uh, about the election. What, sure. what, did you, what did you make of it? Uh, Governor Cuomo with a 30% uh, win, uh, but Cynthia Nixon, who had never run for anything, got 34%. That's pretty impressive. Well, you know, look, she's to be congratulated for running for office. Armchair warriors like me have been directing people to do this. She actually did it. We're the dummies. She's the smart one. She ran, number one. Number two, what is interesting about Andrew Cuomo and why he becomes a much more attractive national candidate is he occupied the center and he occupied the left at the same time. He is, and he occupied the black vote and the Latin vote, which makes him an extraordinary national candidate. He's the anti-Trump. It was all, he controlled that anti-Trump argument. Very smart. And that coalition he built is very, very transportable. Rick, does this have national legs, this victory by uh, Governor Cuomo? It's a convincing victory, and whatever Governor Cuomo has said about only an act of God stopping him or mm -hmm. stopping him from serving his, term, his full term uh, in office, if he starts hearing the rumblings, he does have the platform to do it. Uh, the idea of uniting the progressive and, and centrist establishment wings of the party, that is a dream for Democrats nationwide. They will be looking to him to fight Trump. I do think this helps any national ambitions he may have. Uh, I do think he is a different man and a different politician than he was at the start of the campaign. Uh, maybe for the better, but it def definitely not the same man that he was uh, when this began. He, he took this challenge very seriously and he changed policy positions. He changed the way he engaged and he probably did get better as a politician. Good point. Thank you. When 20,000 people down the street start screaming your name, okay, it's very tough to say no. And that may happen depending upon the state of the Democratic Even Party. if we play the clip in the debate with Nixon saying, hey, I'm not going to run, doesn't matter. You're doesn't right. matter okay. because the nation is in such dire straits right now. Hank Sheinkoff, recline in Washington. Gentlemen, thanks. Both of Thanks, you. Bill. Thank See you. you next time. When we come back, 17 years after the September 11th attack, the health problems facing first responders who worked at Ground Zero still very much on the table. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Up Close. An alarming report recently about the life-threatening illnesses that have attacked so many thousands who worked at or lived near or responded to Ground Zero after the 9-11 terror attacks in 2001. This is the staggering part. Nearly 70 types of cancers have been reported and now a very big push a desperate push to look for organ donors in honor of our remembrance of the 9-11 attacks this past week i would assume reporter kimberly richardson talking to two people who are suffering and waiting the indication was uh, let's all get back to normal as quickly as possible just two weeks after the September 11th terror attack in Lower Manhattan, where toxic dust covered everything, Robert Palmer went back to work at the municipal building, just a few blocks from the Twin Towers. But in 2008, he was diagnosed with multiple myeloma and a type of autoimmune disease that started attacking his kidneys. In 2016, they stopped working, and now the 65-year-old, his brother-in-law's actor Ron Perlman, undergoes dialysis three times a week, nearly four hours each session. He needs a kidney transplant. It's really just a super ask, and it's a, it's a great gift if somebody can muster the courage to do it. NYPD officer Thomas Alexander, like Robert, was also in Lower Manhattan and at the Staten Island landfill in the days and weeks after 9-11, sifting through what was left of the buildings. 
I didn't even think about uh, my health. Didn't even, wasn't even a concern of mine. In 2003, he was diagnosed with kidney cancer, did have a transplant, but that kidney is now failing. He, too, is looking for a donor. With a kidney would help me, you know, um, be with my family again. You know, be, be, you know be, be that father I was before. Experts say kidney cancer appears to be part of yet another wave of 9-11 related illnesses, following things like asthma and acid reflux, thyroid and prostate cancer. It certainly is related to the exposure. There's no doubt in my mind about it. Dr. Michael Crane heads up the World Trade Center Health Program at Mount Sinai. We do seem to be having them picked up at a point where we can treat them effectively. As you know also, it's not one of the ones where we can really screen effectively. It's As for Officer Alexander, even with his health struggles, looking back, he said he has no regrets. If all by helping people, trying to save lives, I'll do it again. Kimberly Richardson, Channel 7, Eyewitness News. Wow. So did you see any of the 9-11 memorial, the reading of the names this past week? It never fails to bring the emotions of that day right to the surface. We owe the people you just saw, all the first responders, the people who live there, so much for what they did and for what they're going through right now. And that's going to do it for this edition of Up Close. Tiempo with Joe Torres is next. If you missed any of today's programs, no worries. I'm going to post these segments on my Facebook page.